Thriving with Chronic Illness is brought to you by Life Audio and is a part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Thriving with Chronic Illness podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a ministry leader, and I am learning how to thrive with chronic illness. You and I were created for impact, for joy and peace, for purpose and significance. And our chronic illness, no matter how debilitating, can't negate that. It might change how we express our purpose, it might challenge our peace, but it can't steal those precious God-given gifts from us. And often, when I'm anxious, when I'm exhausted, when I'm discouraged, I like to remember the truth packed in Ephesians 2, verse 10. And I've probably shared that verse before. I'll probably share it numerous times again because it's a favorite. And it says, this is the New Living Translation, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. I don't care what you feel like, what your hair looks like, or when you last took a shower. You are God's priceless, adored, treasured masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that you could do the good things he planned. When? long ago, long before your first sin, your first regret, your first diagnosis. Your current struggle and limitations don't surprise God. They don't disqualify you from what he's planned. He orchestrated his plans for you. He fashioned your day as the original Hebrew of Psalm 139 verse 16 states before a single one came to be. And he's brilliant. He knows precisely what you and I are capable of. He knows precisely what we're not capable of. And that means we have everything we need, all the energy, the ability, the wisdom, the connections, the opportunities, everything we need to do all that God has assigned. We don't, however, have all we need to do everything we or everyone else thinks we should do along with all God has assigned. So we need to learn to set boundaries. We need to learn to say no if we want to live well, if we want to love Christ and others well. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, the importance of setting boundaries, because we can't do it all. You and I probably know that better than almost anyone. We recognize how limited our energy is. And and for those of us who spend a good deal of our week with doctors, we recognize that our time is drastically limited as well. And we've lived the consequences of speaking too many yeses too many times. And yet, if you're like me, it can still be really hard to say no. It's still hard to set and maintain healthy boundaries for so many reasons, more reasons than honestly we'll have time to address in this episode. So how about I start with the oversimplified yet oh so true answer. If we want to know when to say yes and when to say no, if we want the courage and the strength to do so, we'll prioritize our love for and our commitment to Jesus Christ above everything else. 
I know that's easy for me to say, but hard to live out, right? Because most of us have learned through a lifetime of training to be people pleasers. We're afraid of letting others down. We're afraid of making someone angry. We're afraid of losing an opportunity or discovering we don't measure up in some way. And plus, many of us are just plain confused. We haven't quite figured out the ebb and the flow of our illness, when we'll feel well and for how long. And we want to love like Jesus, but we don't always understand what that looks like in relation to our challenges. And maybe we feel guilty, like our loved ones deserve better, like we should be a better mom or a wife or friend. No wonder so many of us find ourselves overburdened, overwhelmed, and overtired. But we were not created to be used up and to lose ourselves in caring for everyone else. And that's a hard truth for many women to grasp because honestly, our society teaches us the opposite. And I'm being slightly stereotypical here, but every mother I know, and since I've known a fair number in my years of doing ministry, I feel confident in saying that this is largely something we women experience. Every mother I know, every woman I know is not so great at self-care. We're taught to be nurturers, the caretakers, the peacemakers, the ones who are constantly alert to how everyone else is feeling and what everyone else might need. And while that's beautiful, sometimes we can tip over into it being unhealthy. Have you noticed how hard it is for a woman to do something for herself and how guilty we tend to feel whenever we do? Because somewhere along the road, we've learned that we're not worth it, that we're not worth the time or the energy investment. Chronic illness can only make those feelings worse, largely because we feel as if we can't meet expectations, even more so now that we're sick, whether our expectations are those we placed on ourselves or the expectations others have, whether they have told us directly or maybe we assume that they have these expectations. And plus, we spend way too much time on Facebook and Instagram, far too much time comparing our low points with everyone else's high points. And this is a problem for numerous reasons. First, we have no idea what others are struggling with, but everyone struggles with something. Everyone, not just those of us who are sick. And everyone feels as if their struggles are holding them back. And some battle depression, others chronic pain, others loneliness, others infertility, others are caring for a loved one or or are living with an uncaring husband. And we're looking at everyone else through our pain-filled lenses, through our wants and our hurts, our lack rather than our blessings. And I got to tell you, in Christ, we do have so many blessings. And, but when we look at everything through our lack, this inevitably leads to striving, which only confuses our journey and challenges our ability to set clear, God-led, wise boundaries. And so we begin to accept or decline roles and opportunities from a place of perceived scarcity And we spend more time watching what everyone else is doing, how God is leading or blessing them, how they or how they might or might not be perceiving us rather than seeking God's heart and will. And that's a dangerous place to land. That's a place of confusion, a place of frustration, disillusionment, and it can lead to outright rebellion and despair, a sense of futility. Plus, we all have different ministries, different assignment. Some of us are still able to lead Bible studies and praise God. 
while others of us might be confined to bed and have the most powerful prayer ministry around. Both ministries are beautiful. Both are God-ordained. Both have unimaginable eternal significance. Can you imagine if, if Elijah, who scholars say battled depression, if he compared his life and his ministry to Paul's, who dealt with a, quote, thorn in his flesh, whatever that was, what ministry was more important? What ministry was more God-ordained? We saw more of Paul's, we saw the effects more uh, of Paul's ministry. There seemed to be more of an effect, whereas Elijah, the people stayed in rebellion. Did that mean that one of them was called more than the other? And was one ministry any more or less important? What about Joseph, who spent years as a slave in, or in a dark, dank Egyptian dungeon? Was his ministry any more or less important than Lydia's, the merchant from Thyatira who hosted the first European church? How do we qualify the impact of one person's life over another? There's a lot of ways we... We might do this, but there's only one proper biblical way. The only way we can and should measure our lives is based on obedience. And that doesn't change regardless of how we feel. Any other standard is subjective and influenced by our culture rather than Christ. And scripture tells us specifically not to adopt the ways and the attitudes of our culture because we belong to a higher, more eternal realm. We serve the king of kings. He is the only one worthy of our alliance. Paul understood this, that his that was his life's goal. And that was precisely why he was so incredibly effective. Now, listen to what he said in Galatians 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And, and while Paul was specifically talking about his determination to defend the gospel against false teaching, the principle stands. We cannot live both for Christ and for man. And each day, we have to choose who will serve, who we will ultimately make our God. Paul decided, regardless of how others responded, whether they rejected, loved, beat, or welcomed him, he was going to live as a servant of Christ. That was his identity. And notice, that was how he introduced himself in the beginning letter to the Galatians. He called himself Paul, an apostle. And he said, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So an apostle, it referred to someone who was commissioned and backed with the authority of whoever was sending them out. Or as David Guzik from Enduring Word puts it, quote, an appointed representative with an official status who is provided with the credentials of his office. And, and Guzik goes on to say his standing, referring to Paul, as an apostle was not based on opinion polls and it did not come from any human counsel. Paul was secure in his purpose and who had called him, and that enabled him to live well and to set and maintain clear and healthy boundaries. Our actions always make statements about our beliefs, and when we set God-led boundaries, whether that means embracing an opportunity we fear we might later, due to illness, have to back out of, or spending the day in bed, we're stating that we believe Christ knows what he's doing and has a plan. 
he's got a plan for our loved ones as well. And we, we who are, we women, we, we really need to remember that because I think sometimes our heart just really aches when we feel like we can't maybe be there for our loved ones like we wish we could. God has a perfect loving plan for them, a plan that honestly we don't know about. Uh, and sometimes his plan for them might involve us telling them no. Sometimes the act we think is loving in the long run really isn't. Or, or maybe he wants them to learn something they won't be able to learn if we step in and take care of something. Maybe he wants to strengthen them through whatever adversity they will experience alongside our illness. Or maybe he's telling us to do something sacrificial, knowing though it might exhaust us momentarily, it'll speak deeply to their hearts in a way we may never know or might never understand. Only God knows, but God does know, and he sees all, and he's working good in and through all. He will use us, each of us, in amazing life-giving ways. He'll invite us to play our assigned roles and to trust that he's got the full picture, the full story all figured out. We don't need to worry about how he'll close every plot hole or tie up every loose thread. We simply need to trust, to listen for his guidance and obey. And while we live in a fiercely independent culture, independence is never God's plan for his children. To the contrary, he wants us to live interdependently. He designed us to need one another, to love one another, and to serve one another, to live as one interconnected, interdependent body. In other words, he did not create you to do it all. Whether that all involves your work, your ministry, or your family, sometimes he will allow us to experience weakness so that others can step in with their strength. And that can be such a powerful, beautiful display of God's love and grace. In 2011, the year I was really, really sick, I felt like I was failing as a mom, as a wife, really, in every area of my life, I spent a chunk of my time in bed, in the bathroom, or on the couch, and it seemed as if my husband and my daughter spent a chunk of their time focused on me. I didn't have the energy to go grocery shopping. That was so hard. And one afternoon, I tried. I was so tired. I felt so weak. But I was certain that was my role. That was what I had done for nearly two decades. I'd shopped, I'd cleaned, I'd cooked. And so I dragged my tired and hurting self to the store and through the aisles. By the time I reached the laundry detergent, I was exhausted. And that detergent felt so insanely heavy. But I managed to load it into my cart and then later to load everything from my cart and onto the checkers conveyor belt and then back into my cart. And I got to tell you, by that time, I just wanted to go to bed like for the rest of the day. By the time I reached the parking lot, I must have looked as wiped as I felt because a kind man, he intercepted me and without a word, he took my cart, he pushed it to my car and then he loaded everything into my truck. And can I just say he was like Jesus to me in that moment? That was such a pure display of God's love. And then I got into my car and I cried, realizing in a way I hadn't before just how sick I had become. Well, that year, my daughter was struggling emotionally with so, so many things. So we'd recently moved. She was grieving some amazing friends from her old school. She was lonely, and she was struggling with what was at that time undiagnosed and untreated anxiety and depression. Praise God, she got connected in our church's youth group, and she formed a relationship with her small group leader. 
And during that time, she started a journal, which she let her leader read. And at the end of that year, my daughter showed me her journal. And after each entry, her leader had written such beautiful, faith-bolstering, loving responses. That leader had been present in her life. That woman had stepped into the gap for me. God had used her to love on my daughter, to play her part in his interconnected story. Now, my pride might tempt me into thinking that I should have played that role, that in not playing that role, that I was insufficient. But that is not grace. And that's not how God works. He's the master planner. He's the great storyteller. He's the lover of our souls. And he's caring for each of us as he desires and as he deems best. And so we trust him. We surrender. We praise him for his love, however it's displayed, whoever it's displayed through. And we ask him to show us our part in each moment. And then we obey. And now I get how confusing this can be, especially as believers. Scripture tells us to love one another sacrificially, to honor one another above ourselves, and basically to always shoot for the last seat at the table, the last place in line. And as a result, some of us have mistakenly concluded that we're wrong to set boundaries, that, that, that setting boundaries makes us somehow uncaring. But we must remember truth and love always coexist. Truth without love is destructive. And love without truth is dangerous. What's more, scripture calls us to be peacemakers. And contrary to our modern definitions of this word, that doesn't mean avoiding or defusing conflict. Biblical peace, arene in the Greek and shalom in the Hebrew, have the connotation of wholeness when all necessary parts are bound together. It's the state of things as they should be. It's a state of health. Boundaries promote relational, spiritual, and emotional health. And that must always be our goal. When setting boundaries, we need to ask ourselves, what's the healthiest response right now? And we might not always know the answer to that question, but using it as a filter helps. And it necessitates being alert to our emotions. If something upsets us, if we feel squeezed, overlooked, undervalued, or taken advantage of, then we need to evaluate that. Why are we feeling upset? Well, we never want our emotions to override truth. They can trigger that something isn't quite right. They can signal, I'm sorry, that something isn't quite right. We may find lack of boundaries or crossed boundaries at the root of our frustrations or anxiety. So let me give an example. A while back, I served with a woman who was a taker. She was quick to jump on opportunities, quick to ask for, for my time, for help, but slow to offer help. And, and I allowed this behavior to continue because I didn't really know how to address it. And, and also the expectations I initially set weren't easily measured. So there wasn't a clear way that I could really hold her accountable. And second, I wanted to operate on grace rather than a tick for tack mentality. And, and this worked well for numerous team members as so many of the women I served with had such great hearts. And so I naturally felt a desire to bless them. But 
I began to realize this approach was not working with that one woman. Over time, my frustrations grew as I continued to prayerfully wrestle with how to handle this situation. And ultimately, I asked God to take care of it. And he did in his way. And initially, it felt as if such a weight had been lifted. And I experienced renewed energy and passion for my work. But soon, when I thought of this woman or interacted with her, old frustrations emerged. And so I began to pray against this. I actively prayed against that. And I confessed my sins of pride and selfishness that I knew played a role in my feelings. And and I prayed for her blessings, that God would bless her. As I know from experience, that's a powerful way to initiate forgiveness and to purify my heart. And, And I asked God to remove my frustrations, to center me in Him and to protect me from bitterness. Ladies, we have to guard our inner tranquility because not only can frustration easily lead to bitterness, but it can trigger pain and it can make our symptoms, our illness worse. And and that's why in part it's imperative we constantly guard our hearts. And when we sense ugliness beginning to take root, we seek God's wisdom and purification. And that's what I had to do in this situation. When weeks went by and I found myself battling the same negative emotions I refused to stay in that place. And so I asked God two questions. First, would I always be fighting this same battle? And second, why? Why did I continue to struggle with this? Oh, the importance of those why questions, of feeling with Jesus, as I like to call it, so that he can shed light on our emotions, so that he can take us past surface level reactions and solutions where we tend to reside, to go deep, to move us to true freedom. And after all that wrestling, God showed me I had been responsible for the whole situation. Yes, the woman's behavior had been wrong and unbecoming of a daughter of Christ, but I had allowed it. I had failed to set and maintain clear and appropriate boundaries. By getting to this level of understanding, I was able to learn from the situation and I was able to shift my frustration off of her and her behavior and onto me and mine. And there's power in that. As Christ followers, we must embrace a lifestyle of growth, of learning and self-analyzation. And we do that through our relationship with Christ. We need to prioritize our time with him. We need to cultivate a listening ear so that we have the ability to discern his voice and to sense his guidance. And that's crucial because if he's not guiding us, that means we're guiding ourselves and no offense, but we're simply not that smart. We're certainly not as smart as as the all-knowing sovereign creator God. If we find surrendering to our all-knowing, all-loving creator God frightening, then we may not know him all that well as he truly is. And the answer then is to get to know him better through scripture reading, through worship and prayer and obedience, because the more we respond with obedience, when we sense God's leading, the more we'll be able to hear him in the future. But the converse is true as well. The more we ignore his promptings, whether that's to say yes or no, to embrace an opportunity or to take time to rest, the more we say no to his promptings, the less we're able to hear him in the future. And that doesn't mean if we seek to honor him that we'll always be able to hear him or that we'll always hear him perfectly or that he'll answer right away. Sometimes we need to give him time to speak. 
I have landed in numerous messes feeling like I needed to make a decision right away. Have you done that? I imagine we all have. So what do we do then? What do we do if we found ourselves in a situation that God is saying no to? Well, first we pray. Because sometimes God might ask us to push through, to honor our word, but there's other times he might ask us to initiate a hard conversation and to admit our mistake. That can be frightening. Maybe even more frightening than telling someone no in the first place. It pricks our pride and it can compound our fears of letting that other person down. We might even fear that they'll lose respect for us. And while I can't speak for anyone else, I can tell you when this occurred with a friend of mine the other day, my respect for her actually elevated. So a sweet friend had agreed to two important ministry roles, roles, quite frankly, she was perfect for. And because the ministry so closely echoed her heart's passion, and because she and I have always served so well together, she said yes. And, and while she makes a habit of regularly seeking God's will, in this case, she came to discover that she had said yes a bit too quickly. And as she began to step into her new roles, her creativity stalled and she felt zero peace. And so she went to God in prayer, trying to discover what was really going on. And I need to pause here. Well, we must never, like I said, allow our emotions to override truth. They can give us important clues when a situation isn't right, when it's not healthy, or when maybe we've stepped outside of God's will. And through prayer, my friend discovered her inner angst came from accepting tasks that God had never assigned. And while she was tempted just to buckle down and push through, she said quite humbly and beautifully, I feel God pulling in my reins and I know his blessings, his anointings, his provisions, etc., are not found where he doesn't lead. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Let me say it again. God's blessings, his anointing, his provision are not found where he doesn't lead. And so she kindly stepped down. Was I bummed? Absolutely. I adore that woman. And plus she's crazy talented in like 500 different ways. But did I respect her decision? Absolutely. And in fact, though I've always, always respected her, I actually respected her more after this interaction because I wasn't sure if I'd been in her situation, if I would have had the courage to do the same. I I want that to be true of me. That's what I strive for. And by having the courage to initiate that difficult conversation with me, she helped me see that maybe I could do the same whenever I landed in a similar situation. That's perhaps one of the most beautiful, unexpected outcomes of our boundary setting. We get to show others what it looks like to set healthy boundaries, and we give others permission to set them. And if they get upset when we set boundaries, that simply means they have no concept of them. It's a growth opportunity, a learning opportunity for them. And so then it's if that occurs, it's all the more important that we show them what clear and healthy boundaries look like. We lovingly express what we can and can't or will or won't do, what what God is and isn't leading us to do. And then we surrender their reaction to Jesus. We are not responsible for how they react to our obedience. 
but we are responsible to be obedient. I'm going to say that again. We are not responsible for how others react to our obedience, but we are responsible for our obedience. Now, we'll continue this discussion on boundaries in our next episode, during which I'll share a biblical example of boundary setting, along with some practical ways we can establish boundaries in light of our potentially fluctuating health. But for now, I want to leave you with two action steps. First, take some time to bring your calendar, your responsibilities, and and opportunities to Christ. Ask Him to show you what changes you need to make to your calendar and to your to-do list in order to embrace what He's assigned and only what He's assigned. And Be alert to your feelings. What negative feelings arise when maybe you're engaged in certain things or responding to others? And when those feelings arise, ask God to show you their deepest roots and your role in that. I suspect many of us will find lack of boundaries at the root. And that's actually awesome because that means we have the opportunity to initiate change and and to grow and the ability to bring that change about. Now, thank you for listening to today's podcast. I know we talked about some tough, some thought-provoking stuff. Give yourself time and space to process it. I would love to connect with you. You can find me on my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud. You can find my ministry at holylove.com. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y loved.com, holylove.com. I would also love to connect with you on Facebook and Instagram. Just Google my name and you should be able to find me. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and then you won't miss a single episode. And make sure to check out my Faith Over Fear podcast as well on lifeaudio.com. We've got some great content coming up and it would mean a lot to me if you would rate today's episode, if you would share it on social media. Until next time, take hope in this. No matter how hard today feels, heaven is coming. And though our outward bodies might be wasting away, inwardly God's crafting us into his radiant masterpieces, equipped and empowered to share his love and truth with a hurting world. He's got an assignment for each one of us, and he will show us what that assignment is. May we live fully, wholly, and solely for God's assignment. Thriving with Chronic Illness is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a review in your podcast app? It really does help more people like you find the podcast. To hear more from Jennifer Slattery, be sure to check out her fantastic site, holyloved.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelly Givens, and edited by Steven Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more podcasts like this, head over to lifeaudio.com. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.